Hey, I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Best day ever. We are coaches, trainers, retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, but didn't start our careers doing this. Jason worked in public accounting, and I worked in corporate retail until starting our dream business in which we help people from all different industries pursue their best day ever every single day. The goal of this podcast is to interview both each other and other professionals making an impact on the world on how wellness is the fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. This podcast is about teaching people to actively pursue their purpose and how to use self-care to do it. We're here to show you how the best day of our mindset is available to anyone at any time, no matter your circumstance. It's your choice and we're here to encourage you. Have the best day ever. Hey team, today's podcast episode is sponsored by Beam, B-E-A-M. They are a CBD company. Brett and I have both been trying CBD for quite some time and have really fallen in love with Beam as a brand. I specifically use Beam for recovery from stressful and hard workouts. After I climb, my elbows and wrists get sore, so I will spread the solve around those specific areas. And after a long run, I definitely like to use the tincture to relax my muscles, help aid in recovery so I can go hard at it the next day. I use Beam and CBD a lot for sleep, um, which really helps my mind recover and start to calm down before I'm going to bed. Beam is all organic, pharmaceutical grade, full spectrum CBD. So in each one of their protein bars, there's about 20 milligrams of this full spectrum CBD oil. The salves come in different potencies. And CBD in general helps balance mood, reduce anxiety, increase muscle recovery, amongst a ton of other benefits. And what exactly does that mean? Being 100% THC free means that there are no psychoactive side effects in any of their CBD, while full spectrum includes other natural compounds like cannabinoids and terpenes that help support the benefits of CBD. If you're looking to test out CBD and want to give Beam a try, check out their website to purchase some of their amazing products and make sure you use code LIVEBETTER at checkout to receive a discount. We'd love to hear about what you guys are using, how this stuff is helping and aiding you in recovery, in sleep, or whatever way in which you are using it in order to have the best day ever. Check out beamtlc.com and enter the code LIVEBETTER. All right, Brett and Jason here, Live Better Podcast. We couldn't be more excited to have Coach Megan on the show today. Coach, uh, first of all, she just put us through, which we're going to be posting on Instagram. Uh, what would you call that? Some funky footwork. <laughs> funky footwork, that's exactly what Funky it footwork. So we just went through a really cool footwork and neurological session um, and just really saw how it affected our bodies. Um, Jason and I both met you on two different occasions. Um, through kind of coaching seminar type stuff uh, and both had just really awesome uh, feedback and so we were like we got to get her on the podcast and we got to get her to teach us that foot thing so we can spread it to the world. Um, So let's just start off by what you're currently doing and then we can backpedal to things you've done in the past um, and then how we met each other and how we're going to make the world a better place. (laughs) Great. Uh, So currently my role is I'm the high performance director for the Chicago Red Stars professional women's soccer team. Um, blessed to work with some of the best athletes in the world uh, in one of the most effective and effective sports in the world. So it touches everyone. Everybody has vibes around it and um, 
players from all over the different countries of the world too. So it's an international team, and um, it's a team went to the final this past year. We'll go get that hardware this year. Excited for the upcoming year, uh, and I'm employed by Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. Awesome. So what are some of the specifics you do with uh, Red Stars? Sure. So from the Red Stars, everybody's like, what's a high performance director, right? Um, and that looks different in every organizational model. Like if you go to the NFL, let's say you're with a team, their high performance director may be over the medical as well as the sports science data analytics group plus the strength and conditioning coaches. And then WSL, that means I probably work with myself and I do all those things, right? So from us, it's like uh, handling the GPS information, creating the data analytics, profiling with that going into the gym, what does our strength and conditioning look like, and then also collaborating with all these different countries going in out of a World Cup year now into an Olympic year. So they different clubs and countries all have their own strength coaches, have all these other things going on. So athletes may need top-off fitness. They may need different lift here. So it's managing kind of like a baseball roster of here's where everybody's at. Even though we're all technically on the same team right now, we all still have different things going on. What, uh, what does that look like when an athlete comes in? So say somebody gets traded into Red Stars, like walk through what that initial intake looks like with the athlete and then how you integrate it. Because I would imagine that even on a pro sports team, there are certainly varying levels or needs from different athletes. Like that's the function that you serve is to serve each individual athlete as the team. So like when you intake somebody, what does that look like? And maybe what does some of that communication look like across country? Because that's something really interesting that I've always found is that so many athletes have off-season trainers and they go back to their team. Yep. So it kind of works the same way with how you share data, which right. I would imagine is best case scenario, but might not work great all the Right, time. 100%. <laughs> like, uh, I think it's the NFL that has a players association agreement where they can exchange medical records across teams. And so that's really rad. Um, and the medical side, I'm not going to speak to. Uh, I'm I'll allow our physicians to speak to that. But their intake is top down the same that NWSL has their standard over what that should be and then from an athlete perspective side it's going to be like force plate profiling it's going to be going through some fitness tests and we do uh, everyone in the league does a U.S. soccer fitness testing model where they actually come in and run all their performance fitness testing so that's using like Norboard force plates things like that doing a uh, split of a 30-10 doing a 30-15 fitness test all the basic things you would want over like where is this athlete and then the other side of it and to me what's most important is like how do you get to know that athlete and so we had two uh, big trades meaning um, players coming off current teams into our team this coming year. And a lot of that is just trying to get to know them. So by getting to know them, it may actually mean speaking to their trainer a little bit more and saying, hey, what's been going on? What are you doing in the offseason? Because this is the person they're trusting with their care right now, and I need to understand what that care looks like for them. Or did they have an ACL in the past two years? Okay, how healthy have they been? Looking back and seeing how many matches they played, did they come off an injury and that's why they haven't been playing? We're trying to figure out the back profiling of what's going on when this athlete's world. Um, so for us, like getting a trade for a player that played majority of the minutes has been really healthy versus a player that's just coming back from injury and starting to kind of narrow down where they're going to be day one when I see them and then where do we need to pick up things. So a lot of it is you have to be super humble in being able to reach out to those trainers and I call them coaches, coaches, and talking to them and saying, what what do they need? What do they like? Where have they been? Because on the other side of it, it's different than working with college athletes where you're like, hey, here's your program, ready, go. They're like, hey, I'm a pro, and uh, I don't do this, and I like to do this. And that's also the state of women's soccer, too, of the NWSL as a league is growing and doing so much and getting better. And as that happens, more resources come in. And then all of a sudden now we have players – 
on 12-month contracts, and we have some players choosing to stay here and train in the offseason, things like that that allow everything to grow and get a little bit more solid. Um, in the NFL, if a guy wants to stay and train, guess what? He can come to the facility every day. So that may not be an option at every NWSL club. So as we continue to see those things move forward, all of that will grow as well. What, um, and you mentioned talking through a force plate. So with all of that, probably the most um, experience I've had going through any of that mm -hmm. intake other than just like some of the basic fitness tests has been with the force plate. And it's been extremely informative for me because for a really long time, and we had a conversation about this, like I'm in the wound up athlete crowd where I'm perpetually tight a little bit more explosive, mostly right. tight too. Like that's where I like to live. And last year running the marathon was like almost trying to change every fiber in my body towards right. something slow torch. And I had so many problems come up on the back end of that. And doing force plate testing multiple times and going through it at on your mark with you was interesting because it kind of reaffirmed what I already knew. Hmm. But it's just so important to collect data. How can you just walk through like what force plate testing is and then potentially how stuff like that is going to translate down into the general population. Sure. So let's just talk about like a counter movement jump, right? So when you t look at how athletes move and jump, there's different ways to move. So we have an ankle, we have a knee, we have a hip. Typical, a best athlete is going to have the ability to use any of those joint ranges of motions, but then they're going to choose the best one at the best moment in time. So they're trying to be super quick, get off the, the ground and be the first one to a rebound and dunk it and put it back in, right? Those guys are making millions of dollars. They play in the NBA or the WNBA. Good job. Okay. Then you have athletes that are able to move only through one movement strategy and when you have one movement strategy as soon as that fatigues guess what you have nothing <laughs> so those are the athletes that are more on my radar of saying okay are we is this a mobility issue is this just a movement strategy where they haven't learned anything else or is it a strength issue is there a decrement here or hey is it just a huge asymmetry they had a right knee injury in 2003 that they never addressed and now they always rotate shift to one side they don't know how to load on that other side and the i think the way the best athletes say it is i can't feel it like how just many athletes have we said yeah. Oh. I don't feel this, yeah. right? And so uh, I think it was Dave at the seminar he put on, it was like posture and feel. Like when you have athletes and you can start connecting awareness and feeling to things, just like we did in the funky foot session, all we did was spend some time putting some awareness into the things that we use most every day and never take care of, right? Feet. So when you start pu putting those things in pieces for people and saying, okay, you're saying you don't have awareness here, you don't feel this, and guess what? You don't utilize this strategy. So is it for me as an athlete, you're at the elitist level of women's soccer right now. You're doing a great job with that, and you have no issues. Let me start working on some of these other things. And um, you, you hear, like, David Goggins and say, like, there's people that say uh, triple up on your strengths. But then there's also, if you never address any of these weaknesses, you're that guy that's running a marathon and everything's breaking on him, right? Yeah. And you're like, why did I try and change who I was? And it's yeah. like, all right, maybe you shouldn't run a marathon. Maybe I don't know, right? But on the other side of that, you wanted to tap into something more on the mental side to prove that you could do something for yourself. And physically, you paid the burden of it by not addressing some of those issues throughout, yeah. right? Because you're the same human you were two years ago, but now you run a marathon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so in force plate profiling, we can start to look at things like eccentric, concentric, rate of force development, things like that. So when you take a normal human, it's like, how quickly can they load and get off the ground? And what is their flight time? So how much force are they able to produce? And then when they land, what happens, right? Yeah. So what's more interesting to me too is, it's great to see athletes jump 
but really good athletes, look at how they land. What is their eccentric force load? What, when they land, what, what is that shift from right to left? What's happening in all that time? So when you start looking at force signatures or curves or traces, you can start to see different loading patterns. Yeah. And we have athletes who are like, okay, like for you, you have great load, you have great drive. What did you have? Uh, low drive. Low high drive. Load, high explode. Yep. Low drive. This guy's all gas, no brakes, right? <laughs> all, no brakes. <laughs> yeah. And so you start to, to look at athletes that are like, you're stuck with your e brake on going in gear five. I just need to give you a little bit less on that e brake, and yeah. then all of a sudden your motor's there, your drive is there. Don't worry about it. But you've just had this inhibition. So what does that look like in training, right? So you start thinking about creating a force profile, and if you think about the force velocity curve force velocity curve. If I'm pushing against the wall that's not moving, that would be on one end of a spectrum. I'm giving a crap ton of force that's going nowhere. The other end of the spectrum would be like overspeed running. I'm running downhill. I'm possibly losing control, looking like a Tasmanian devil. <laughs> yeah. And then there's all the time blocks in between. And so that's where like VBT, velocity-based training, Brian Mann, those type of guys came out with, how do we train these different capacities? Guys like Cal Dietz are like, how do we use maximal force inputs, like super maximal force inputs to train these different velocity profiles? And all we're saying is, here's what this athlete's presenting. How do we change that? Where are their gaps? Yeah. And that's what a force plate is allowing us to go back and say, we see the black and white. I want to see all the gray fine points in between. Yeah. So by you doing that force plate testing consistently over time, whether it's counter movement jump, squat profiling, iso mid thigh pulls, whatever that is, now you're getting more time points. The data too. So mm -hmm. for that, obviously, it's going to take more time. It's going to require more time for both athletes and coaches to look through and comb through a lot of that data. Like sure. You have to know what you're looking for. So if Or you, you have know, really good software. We have really good software. If the everyday athlete who we're we're talking we're past couch to five K. Okay. Um but we're sub elite. We're okay. not we're not elite. You maybe you played college sports, maybe you did it, maybe you're kind of getting back into it. Okay. Um you love data. We love data. Um and we're also big on the I, I want to get back to um the emotional tracing. So I want to talk about the two or the okay. pain tracing. But the on the data side, where do you think for the everyday athlete, what data is the most important to start to collect? Because we have like the rise of every tracker in the world, from your Garmin to your Apple Watch to your Whoop, and now we can track everything. But there isn't a great platform to integrate all of that together yet. And I think people are just focused on steps, which is I think is like a is a nice way to just show consistently how often you move, how much you move, sure. but doesn't really do much to inform like a good performance marker. Yeah, steps to me is like looking at reps. If you tell me you did 100 reps in the gym, I have no idea what percentage that was, what velocity that was. So <laughs> yeah. I, I know you did work. Yeah. Good so job doing so work. So when we're working through, like say the everyday athlete, you're taking multiple classes, you're getting in shape, maybe yeah. you have marathon on your mind. You've, you've moved past, I just want to finish to I want to improve my performance. Yeah. For the for the masses, all the everybody sure. that wants to put on an Apple Watch to start to track stuff, what do you think is the best like uh, kind of like utility tracker tool or data point that people should be looking at if you don't have access to a force plate to inform how you should be strength training in the gym? Um, I'd say two things. One, at the end of the day, regardless of any training strategy, lifestyle, performance goal, there's two things that everyone should come back to: sleep and nutrition. And so if you aren't doing anything to either educate yourself on those things or validate what you think you're doing on those things, that's where I find the biggest lifestyle change factors. Um, and I don't want to speak necessarily specific companies because I don't want to just drive people down those. But the, co the comment I will make is if something says it does everything, 
then it probably doesn't do a lot of things very well. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason there isn't, um, even in high performance, we have athlete management systems where we can pull in multiple data sources. The reason for that is because we're using multiple valid data sources. We're using force plates that are really good at being force plates. We're using GPS that are hopefully really good at being GPS units. We're not saying, oh, this force plate should tell me how far I ran today, right? That doesn't make sense. So the same in the lifestyle tracker market is like, all these things are telling you it can do everything. It does how I slept. It tells me when I need to eat. It tells me when I should go shower. Like what? <laughs> so I, I try and look at things and then go into, if we waited for the research to be white paper on everything that we did in life, we missed the yeah. market opportunity, right? Like uh, what is it? 80% of information is that actual information we need to make a decision that's actually gonna give us a tactical advantage. So if I waited to, we got, 80% of the games in season to say, hey, here's where our GPS information is, <laughs> yeah. and maybe we should do more of this in training. Yeah, well, yeah. we're probably not going to be in a final, and I have a lot of people yeah. that are just staring at me like, what have you done all year? <laughs> yeah. So uh, th I think that's one side of it. The other side of it is going back to sleeping nutrition is how you sleep affects stress. It affects all these things hormonally that get to happen at night that allow you to deal with what the fuck's going on in your day. And if you're not addressing that and getting that, like I'm sure Jocko can get up at 4.30 every morning and that's what he's bred to do. And that's what he's trained himself to do and that's the life he lives. There's also those people that need eight hours of sleep a night yeah. that try and deny themselves to get up at 4.30 in the morning, but you're not Jocko. Yeah, buddy's right? going to bed at 9.30. I eat lunch at 9.30. <laughs> right, exactly. So we're all different. And I think that you have to, it, there's like this insecurity amongst the high performing individuals in the world of, is it okay for me to sleep? LeBron you know? sleeps 10 to 12 hours a day. Right. And he also spends $1.2 million on his body. <laughs> yeah, let's get. But you know. the ROI is there. Yeah, yeah exactly. A well. 100%. I had a 1.2? Yeah. And then on, you got man. guys like Conor McGregor who are like, yeah. I'm going to start being more like LeBron and actually taking care of myself instead of just doing what I want. And I think that that speaks to a part of it too is there's what's flashy and appealing and what looks cool to do, and then there's what works for you. And if you're not doing anything to measure, how do you know at the end of the day what actually works for you? Yeah. Right? You're like, oh, I feel this way. Well, okay, let's talk about how you feel then. What gets measured gets managed right. without it. And we talked about it earlier before we started the podcast. Feelings is a perceptual reality. Is that the way you want to live your life is like this thermostat? Oh, how's today? Today's a yeah. 75. <laughs> All right. We can't do anything to change it. This is just how I feel. I'm like get some better inputs that's just an output and that as a as a, as a perfect segue because I, I wanted to also talk about the way that you emotionally work with athletes especially the high-end ones that are like hey i'm coming to the league like this is how i work this is what i know works for me yeah and i mean it's a stressful thing and i especially if you've been injured especially if you have things going on like the stakes are just higher right if you get cut you lose your job right so when you guys are doing emotional management with athletes, like what are some ways that you approach that, if data-driven or not? Because I yep. think that's a big, big key to our business is you can give everybody the perfect plan, but the perfect plan no one follows is the worst plan you could possibly give. Right. Them. So it's like at the start, your emotional, you're like your EQ is just as important as the IQ in getting to the starting line and especially getting to the finish line. So like what are some of the ways at the higher levels that you guys get to work with athletes on an emotional way. Yeah. I know we just walk through a lot of like even little neuro drills, which like 
got me excited to yeah. do, like try some other things for myself even. Yeah. And that was like a big emotional change. Right. I think uh, part of it, before you even realize where someone is emotionally, just realize where they are learning-wise. Because there can be really high-achieving athletes that maybe don't want to learn anything else, and they know exactly what they know, and that's what they want to stay in. You're like, okay, cool, I'm probably not going to throw new neural drills at them uh, knowing that they have this big event coming up or this big game. And I'm not going to speak just in terms of women's soccer and the NWSL because that's not fair. I've only done a year in this, whereas the other 15 years of my experience are at D1. And so I've worked football, baseball, basketball at D1, so I can speak in a lot more general terms about what high performance looks like there, have guys in the NFL, NBA, whatever. Um, I, when you get past and you say, okay, this person super closed off to learning, doesn't want to know anything, uh, that is typically the personality that people are like, you write them off as a coach, right? Like they don't want to be coachable. And it's like, well, maybe you just don't understand them, right? So for me, it's how do I connect with them? So what actually matters in their world, right? If you know what someone's purpose is behind why they're playing, maybe they're playing college basketball because that was their one opportunity to go to college. Or it was the thing their coach shoved down their throat since they were three years old and they were told they were good at and they actually hate. So you have to actually ascertain, is this just a platform to, for them to get to the thing they wanted? Is this the thing they love and the only thing they care about? And so when you know what it is they care about and also who they care about. So who's the most important person in someone's life? Is it their partner, their husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, teammates, or peers? And then you start to say, okay, what is this bigger picture now? Where do they come from? What is their socioeconomic background? What hard things have they been through in their life? Has everything in their life been easy? And all that starts to direct different types of conversation and different types of language. If I know someone has come from a certain background, single parent home, um, is from an area of high crime, well, I'm going to speak to them completely different than the person that went to the prep school that's $70,000 a year and has everything handed to them and is still a good person. That, that We're not rating how good a person someone is. We're just saying, where do you come from and what's important to you? And as soon as you start knowing those things, then you start to understand the feelings that you feel they're projecting. Because if I just went based off emotional intelligence and what is the feeling you're projecting, I'm probably going to get it wrong. A lot of the time because I could come in and be like oh man they look like they're in a really bad mood and they're fine they're just someone and I I think it was David Goggins again and I'm just rereading his book and so that's why it keeps coming up he's like he will never judge a smile or a grimace to say that that's how they feel because I know some people with you know that look like don't talk to me and all they want is someone to talk to them someone is like Looks so angry in the middle of class after class. That was the greatest class of my life. I'm like, like, you looked like you wanted to kill me in there. 100%. Yeah. And it's so we're awful because we're also projecting the whole time. Here we are thinking we're sitting up on some pedestal and it's like, I'm the observer of all emotion and I see what everyone has going on. Well, F you. You don't, that means you have no awareness of yourself. Yeah. So for me, it's like, try and remove myself from the situation a little bit more and truly understand what is going on in someone's life. And then I can probably speak more directly, more accurately, more often. And that doesn't mean we get it right all the time, but if if you've taken the time to develop that relationship, when you get it wrong, someone looks at you and goes, no. And you're like, cool, all right, my bad. And then you move on from it. So I think it's also accepting when you mess up and being able to admit that in that moment. Admitting when you mess up in a moment is super important when working with any high-level person, athlete, or trying to develop a relationship. You know, my bad, I got it wrong. I can own that. Let's move forward. Um, and then 
the other side of it is when we talk about stress, so let's say it's going into the biggest game for someone, and we were talking about a little bit earlier, like why do you miss that four-foot put you've always made in your life, or hey, I've never been in this situation. Like yeah. we're Auburn, we're going to the Elite Eight, we've never been there. How, how did we win the game before that? Because we had never been there either, and how do we do the thing before that? So how do you start going into moments that you've never been in and had an experience in, but how do you overcome those moments? And that's where you see, like, it's always interesting to me, teams as they go into higher level tournaments and it starts being an elimination, you see their circles get closer and closer and closer and they start cutting off more and more distractions. And it's like, okay, normally athletes will go off their Instagram, maybe while they're in season, all of a sudden they're not listening to what outside sources say. And then they, the best athletes start to ascertain are they speaking the things I want to hear or the things I need to hear? And that's when I start seeing like, okay, this person gets it and they not only get it because they want to get it, they understand that to get to that next level, to that next thing they want, they have to stop saying yes to the easy things. And we talked about picking strenuous life situations. So they pick the stressors and the truths that they maybe don't want to hear and they start believing those and they start accepting those. And as soon as you start accepting hard things, life gets a lot easier. Because either way, you're gonna do hard things or have th hard things thrown at you. So how are you gonna deal with that? And then can you speak about it? What are some examples of ways that that athlete we were talking about can go about and do something like that? It's a positive appreciation rampage. It's <laughs> good on JJ. Um, so elaborate on your question a little bit. Like so if, if, you know, we have this athlete that is, that we kind of talked about that we summed up, that's like training for the marathon or whatever, what are, what are things or what are ways in which you've seen people seek out that discomfort yeah. that, that works? So I, I think I like when there's patterns, I really love pattern recognition. So when someone's curious, like, Hey, can I do something? Right. And then they start to say, okay, can I become competent in it? So let's say I'm trying to learn a new skill. So I keep doing that skill, I keep messing it up, fucking it up, whatever. And then all of a sudden I start to get a little bit of confidence because I've been doing it over and over again correctly. Then I start to compete in it. When I start to compete in it, it's not that that competition is the hard thing. I go back to the other three things I've already done. I was curious, I decided to do something for myself, not because someone told me, but because I wanted it for me. Then I decided, hey, I'm gonna become competent in this. I go get the books for dummies. I start doing that footwork drill until I get it. I start doing mobility or breath work every night, whatever it is. And then I get confident by doing it over and over and over and over and over again. And so that's where you get like the 10,000 hour rule where that book kind of came from, that thought process and just repetition. So there's a lot of, to be said for doing work, whether it's in the steps you're doing or the skill you're trying to get or trying to learn how to be a data scientist and get better at looking at pattern recognition, whatever that is. But when I go into that big moment of that first time I've ever had that job interview, the first time I've ever been in this World Cup final, whatever, they've already had all those other building block moments along the way. So for them, the environment is just the new stage. It has nothing to do with who they are. You're just in a different place. Yeah, I love that. We always talk just about consistency is way more important. Like long-term consistency is much more important than short-term intensity. Yep. And it just builds over time because you've done it day in and day out. And so like we talk a lot about like routines and rituals. And I think uh, we've kind of been talking about that a little bit on our podcast recently. So one thing that we'd like to talk about with you is um, maybe talking us through that little morning routine that you have. Okay. Um, and so like we we love to frame things in like two ways you have a routine in the morning that gets you ready yep. and then you have rituals that are a little bit more like meaning behind them so mm. like 
what that could be is maybe it's like something you did in Hawaii, like how like every day you woke up when the sun came up mm-hmm. and that's different than normal, but there was like some feeling about that. But then you're doing things every single day that get your body ready. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of that little routine you went through and kind of like what you go through in the morning and more so than like the tactical side, why you do that, because you can do anything you want in the morning. Yeah. We know that we just went through it and we were able to get our freaking palms to the floor with our mobility, yeah. so it feels good. Um, but talk us through that and when we were at the seminar, like. I just love the connection with like feet and the earth and all of that. So would love to hear about that. Um, So for me, a lot of the reason behind why I do certain things is to help adapt to stress. So I've had super stressful events in my life and we can talk about those pain traces or whatever. And when you start to recognize like, okay, these things are going to happen and they're going to come up either by me putting myself in certain points or also they're going to come up because they want to and that's how life works and that's how we grow harder. so what am I doing to prepare myself for that before I leave? And I think a lot of people start to call themselves like OCD or they're like, this is my daily habit. And it's like the thing they have to do, and they're not even sure sometimes why they do it anymore, but it's the thing they've always done now. And so when you start getting to a point where there's things you've always done, always is like time words, right? Like who knows what always is for someone. But when you've done something so consistently that now it isn't a thought process, it's just what your body goes and wants, now you've created something that is a part of your lifestyle. Until then, it is a habit. It's a decision you make, the thing you have to do. Maybe it is a thing you have to do and decision you have to make for the rest of your life. You're gonna get up one morning and you're gonna be like, oh my God, I'm so sore, I'm not going to my corner. Or I'm still pissed off at the driver that cut me off earlier today, so I'm not going to go sit in my corner, okay? So for me, in my morning, um, I have a a designated environment space within my living. It's like, this is where I go, this is where I start. Because regardless of what else is going on today, I at least get to start here. You're like, well, how do you do it on the road then? I still make a corner in the hotel. (laughs) So I like the corner, I like that term. And, you know, for certain people, like, that's where maybe prayer happens. That's where meditation happens. And so for me, it's like, I'm going to start in that corner, but I'm going to get what I need. So there are three things that I'll probably do every day, and that's with my feet because I have feet issues, right? So I'm going to address those every morning. But then maybe I need to spend more time stretching, or maybe I'm so sore that I'm just going to start off reading, or maybe I'm going to just go sit in the corner and just sit and think and meditate. So it's there's some flexibility built into the system to where it's not so systematic that I'm so rigid of input and output. It's like, okay, what's happening in my world? Maybe I didn't sleep well at all. I just need to sit here for a minute and kind of sit on my bed of nails and figure out what the hell we're going to do today. Or maybe I'm already trying to race into what my day has ahead. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to take some space for myself before I jump into the stress of dealing with what player needs are, what organizational needs are, what all these things we have going on. So before I walk my dog in the morning, so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to take care of me. And um, I think that that just becomes super important for you. So some people that's like, oh, I'm not a morning person, but the world doesn't work for people like us, so they have to get up and go to work anyways. Well, maybe then for them it's that evening time. of They get to decide what's going to happen then. Um, so for me, in that corner is like I have um, – a nice rug, I have some super chill lighting, right? And then I have a bed of nails and I have a rock mat and I have a dry brush. So I'll do different proprioceptive work in the morning and t- go through some of the funky foot stuff. And that can also happen in bed. So some days, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh God, everything hurts right now. I just trained and did a competition on a pier or whatever. Hey, I'm in Hawaii and I just hiked 15 and a half miles <laughs> right. So I'm going to try and lay here and just stare at the stars. So all those things mean like the more adaptable your system is too, 
And adaptable doesn't mean forgivable. You have to hold yourself accountable to something because if you don't, then it's just going to fluff off. And that's why people love trackers, right? They're like, I'm terrible at holding myself accountable to anything, so I need stuff that's actually going to tell me what I'm doing so I know if I'm holding myself accountable. And so it's trying to drive them towards awareness, which we're talking about. So that's just kind of like what my morning is. And then um, the other side of that too, right, like – once you've had insert traumatic event here, whatever that is for someone, some people it's that car wreck that almost killed them, um, that life or death moment in the military. Um, if you've had cancer, if you've you know gone through hard things, depression, whatever, insert that. Everyone has something in their chapter that they can share with. And to me, it's less important what that thing is. It's more about how you responded. And if you have um, built up some things to where now in those moments, what are those pain traces? What are those emotional traces look like? that allows you to choose that it's going to be the best day ever, right? And so for me, what I, I get one of those is, and a lot of people like to talk about this one um, because it connects with a lot of people who have been affected by cancer, is I didn't have necessarily a bad day, quote-unquote, through my whole cancer process. And a lot of that was due to the um, systemic support I've had. And when you have so much support around you and so many people championing, championing you in your life and saying, hey, we got this, you're like, I don't have another decision, right? If I had Kevin Hart and David Goggins and Ben Kenyon <laughs> and whomever running with me, you better believe I think yeah, I can yeah, run, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. when you have those people in your life, and that's why it's so important to have those people in your life. If you're choosing the people that are doing the wrong things and you know unless you change that environment you're going to do those things if that's not what you want you have to change your environment and get around some people that are wanting to live the way you want to live and for a lot of people that's the hardest part because why our body loves homeostasis it wants easy it doesn't want change so when you guys quit your job started your thing you're like we're doing this thing thank god you had each other yeah right imagine trying to do that that. by yourself yeah yeah. so um, i think choosing those moments but uh, i actually want to talk specifically about pain because pain is like something that goes into everyone's life. Maybe it's from cancer treatments. Maybe it's from a car wreck. Maybe it's emotional trauma. So for me, and I'm talking about this because one of my former athletes actually brought it up because her sister asked her about it. And she's like, I've heard somebody talk about this before. And she's like, oh, it was you. I was like, okay, yep. (laughs) Uh, And she was talking to me and she said, do you remember telling me about the day you had the worst pain? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I think it's the reason I have a corner as well. So in the hospital when I was going through treatment and I don't remember if I'd had like a bone marrow biopsy that day or, you know, just whatever, there was stuff going on. And um, at different points you would just have pain and pain was less like here is where it is and you couldn't see it, but you just felt it. And it was this overwhelming feeling. And mentally I was like, how do I gain space to be able to control this? And I had some really awesome people in my life speak to me about creating a space specifically for pain. So it was a chair in my hospital room. And I wheeled my little R2-D2 cart of all my IV stuff around. And I'd go sit in this chair. And I started sitting there, and I'd listen to the same music. And music's super interesting, right? Like, you hear military guys talk about humming the same song over and over again. Well, really, it passes a lot of systems. And you talk about, like, neurologically, how do I just help distract from all this other stuff, right? So for me, I don't know why. It was Ed Sheeran's album, you know, Hate Me Now, it's fine. Um, One of the four billion yeah, yeah, songs. Yeah. yeah, but the old album, not like You'll Love Me When My Hair Is Gray one. Um, and 
I would sit in this chair, I'd turn on the music, and I wouldn't even hear the music. And that's what's really interesting, right? Like, you wouldn't even notice it. And so I just started closing my eyes. And since I've studied physiology so much, I started just visualizing to me, and I would follow and trace my pain from, like, when I closed my eyes, from my eyelids, all the way down to the synapses, like the nervous system synapses of where I felt that pain was. And the longer I go through that process and just sit in that moment, it was no longer me feeling the pain, it was me understanding the pain. And when you can kind of gain understanding of something, you can lose some of the emotional intensity of it. And that's what helped me. And so still in my time point, like different life stresses come up or whatever, like I had a doctor's appointment today and I get in the car and I was like, why am I so stressed? So I'm like, so geared up. I was like, oh, I haven't dealt with the fact that I have a doctor's appointment today. And so how did I respond? After going to the doctor, all that stuff, I go home and I like pass out like 15 minutes solid, but woke up feeling like I felt feeling like I'd slept 10 hours. I'm like, what just happened? Right. I've always had this control delete mindset of like how my body responds to stress. Like if I ignore it, I'm going to sleep really well. Right. And so that like pass out mentality of like my system needs a reboot. So I got to have that today. And, and I think it's interesting how it happens, but when, so I didn't choose dealing with that stress. So my body dealt with it for me. Mm-hmm. And when you don't deal with stress over and over and over and over and over and over again, then you're going to have either a really callous person who's super unhealthy or you're also going to have disease. And so there's like these quotes of you can either deal with disease now by living a healthy life or disease will come for you later. And uh, I'm not saying that for everyone, like input equals output. But for me, I know that if I'm not addressing the true stresses in my life and then also putting myself in environmental stresses to know that I can own those, infrared saunas, cold plunges, hiking up 15 miles to go sit in a waterfall that's really cool, like those type of things, choosing those and embracing them and saying, I love it. And when you start changing, this is hard to, I love it. That's a different shift of what you can handle in your life. We, I was just like, you know, I mean, you're, first of all, you're a badass. <laughs> um, and just listening to your thought process, I just went through a very similar, um, like kind of uh, almost like pain tracker, uh, kind of mm. how I call it, like through a pain journey. Because when I grew up, I used to have like three, 10 out of 10 migraines every week from age 10 to probably like age 16 mm. and had a probably a five out of 10 headache every day of my life. So it was just chronic pain all the time and in one of the worst places, just like right above my eyes. Mm-hmm. It was just dull all the time. So not only like physically, um, it was just like listening to you because I'm, I'm, I've always been in physically like some type of pain. I'm not exactly a risk averse person. So that's <laughs> that reason. But the headache thing, it was just like not really explainable. And I had to do the exact same thing. I was in like sleep clinics and practicing meditation when I was like 11 mm-hmm. just to be able to manage some of the daily head pain. Mm-hmm. And it has. Thank God you weren't just given 20 prescriptions. Right. And it, it, it like and it was, though, it was like at some point because it also kept me from sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I developed like and then I developed a ton of anxiety as a kid. He like, wasn't sleeping. So right. Zombie and that. So then it was like, OK, well, we got Xanax for you to calm your anxiety and so you can get to sleep. And I'm just like, what? We, even walking through that, though, it informs being in pain chronically like that informs so much of your decision making because it either consumes you and you just victimize yourself. And you just complain about it. Yep. And you start to make excuses for it. Or you just fix it. Yep. But it, it informs, and everybody deals with some type of pain. Whether yep. it's self-induced or not, but it informs so much. Like you were talking about infrared saunas and cold plunges. I love 
being cold. I love having like. That's my, why you live in Chicago. Yeah, right? so <laughs> I, I need it. I actually hate it, but I, I'd rather be in Hawaii. It's snowing. Looking at the sunset. Yeah, it sucks. It's <laughs> but I love You're having like my cold. head pushed in. I love taking little like tw- I call them tiger snoozes, little twenty minute naps because it does just shut off that pain and getting the head rub is a very like somatic way for me just to sort of forget about that pain and I got so good at that without fixing it but that stress adds up Mm -hmm. and now what gives me a migraine is not the normal um, just like process by which however I got that before and I still don't really know why I got sure but now it is chronically shoving stress in a box until the box explodes and it's like you are done Right. You're done. You're shut down for like three days, and you're going to have to go through all of that psychological trauma again by being in like chronic pain for four days. Everybody has a push point, right? Like for some people, they're like, my left knee hurts. Like, oh, okay. Some people, it's like, I'm not sleeping anymore. Or, hey, oh, God, my neck is killing me. Well, really what I'm associated with is what's the stress or the trauma you're not dealing with? What's the thing that you're ignoring that your body's physically manifesting? Festing in a different way and saying, hey, deal with me since you don't want to deal with this <laughs> yeah. other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we mean, like choosing the truly hard things. And it's been really interesting when you start listening to people share their trauma. Not only are you giving them the chance to also share theirs, like I just shared my story. And so you felt moved to share yours. That has power and healing in itself. But also it reminds you of some of the trauma. And you're like, oh, my God, I forgot when I was seven that that happened. Yeah. Right. And you're like. Dude, you just don't deal with it. Right. You're seven. Right. And so you have these triggers that bring up these old, maybe suppressed memories or things that happen. And you're like, now do I deal with it? Oh, no. I'm, tuck it back <laughs> in. Save it for another day. And that, that's why you have so many people that are just constantly in this state of fear, right, of whatever's happening. Because they haven't been able to address any of these things. Or they don't have the tools to do it. Or they don't think it's possible for them. And that, to me, is the person that doesn't have hope anymore to think they can address any of those things. Those are the people I feel the most pain for because they think that pain is now their life. And that is everything that's going to happen to them. And I truly believe we attract what we're putting out. So if all now you're projecting is this pain that you feel you have, what the hell are you supposed to have come to you? And, you know, you have some certain people that are like, oh, no one's coming to save you. That's what you're going to be now. And that victim mentality comes out. And then you have those people that in those darkest moments, they're like, fuck this. I need to change it. And they're able to pull themselves out of it. Not everybody's that strong, though. Some people are super stuck into this is now my homeostasis. This is now what I want. My brain's just going to tell me to stay here and keep telling me I'm a bad person, that I deserve nothing, that this is what my life is. And unless you have those other people around you in your environment to be like, are you kidding me? Can you turn your thermostat? What the fuck up? Okay. Let me gas you up all day because you're actually awesome and give you all these things of here are the tangible things that I can tell you about yourself. Here are the things that are making you great. Here's the way you're impacting other people. And the true one for me that always works is if I feel like I'm doing nothing good in the world or I'm feeling bad, lonely about myself or victim mentality, I go do something for someone else, like an actual physical gesture for someone else. And whether that's like, hey, let's go work out right now. And that's kind of dual self-serving, right? Or it's seeing somebody on the street that needs a jacket or a warm meal. And it's go do an act of gratitude and tell me that it doesn't start to change how you're feeling about yourself. And that's still being selfish, right? Like I'm helping someone. Selfishly unselfish. And 
it's making me feel better by helping you. How does that work? Oh, that's how humans are. So <laughs> that's how we operate. So yeah. at the end of the day, everyone wants to belong and everyone wants to connect. So you look at the loneliest, darkest people out there, go do something fucking for them and make them feel better. Give them a little bit of hope. And guess what? You'll feel pretty good about yourself. That was the, that was the first and probably the most impactful Tony Robbins like idea that I ever connected with. It's like the fastest way mm. out of suffering is to end someone else's. Huh. Yeah, I mean, the quickest way out of it is just to focus on someone else. Because pain and like and suffering is just an it, it, when he talks about it is like an excessive focus on yourself. It's like an inability to get out of your own bubble to say like, why is this happening to me? These things are happening to me. Well, if you can just make the next person feel good, like it is selfishly the best bump. Right, and it it's like just a mental switch because you need something. Um, we talk about like this neurological spin up and you get in this emotional state and you're actually like in this rat brain kind of thinking monkey brain mentality and you can't get out of it. You literally can't get to frontal lobe activation, right? So if you're stuck in that mindset and it's just all this emotion, you're actually not making good thoughts anymore. It's Have cool. you ever heard of anyone making a good decision on an upset stomach? <laughs> Hangry. It's a thing. Right. Or actually sick. Like the, nothing good happens, right? And then we can talk about the gut brain whole deal. But <laughs> anyways, the the whole side effect of that is what's something you can do to break your system that's just saying zero one, zero one, zero one, zero one. It's like pause. Do something different. Cool. Get a different input to get a different output. If you keep doing the same shit you've always been doing, you get the same result. So until you're ready to decide to change, don't worry about what tracker you own. Because it's still going to give you numbers of showing you the same shit you've been doing for 20 years. Now and you're like, hey, I've changed who I want to be and I have hope for that person that I'm hoping to become. Go ahead. Start evaluating how you actually are. Yeah, the pause between stress and reaction is like that's, that is your reflection point. Yeah, and everyone has passion, that point. Then you have, no, you have no reflection. You have no ability to change path. And again, it's not that like... I do it right all the time either, right? Like you have a moment and you, even in those harshest decisions, like let's say you're in a bar, you get hit, you still have a moment to decide how are you going to respond, right? You get in a car accident, how do you respond? Do you get out and start yelling at the other person? So we don't always get it right. doesn't mean we're perfect, but at certain points you have to say, what am I actually doing? That's a, <laughs> that's a full so good. <laughs> it's so good. All right, so we're going we're gonna to have a part two first thing um, but we ask every single person uh, if you could wake up tomorrow and it would be the best day ever hmm. you could be back in Kauai yeah you could be here yeah, quick congratulations because Megan just got engaged yeah Congrats. thanks appreciate <laughs> that it. Yeah. it was awesome yeah. Um, yeah Kauai is a special place and um, they talk about feeling the man of an island and th the mountains the stars and the waves of that island definitely create a different type of connection. We t both talked about how you just feel like you're supposed to be up as long as there's daylight there. And then you feel like you should go to bed when it's gone. It's insane. Well, light's super important, and you can talk to Dr. Huberman about that, but or Huberman from Stanford. But the other side of that to me is just like, what is that draw that pulls us to do things? And when you're on that type of place, you're like, I want to do all the things. All the things, all yeah. The things. It's the best. Yeah, right now. Exactly. And okay, then now so. I'm in Chicago and I'm indoors. <laughs> exactly. So the best day ever. Wake up tomorrow, whatever you want to do, what is your best day ever? Um, best day ever. I love this question because a lot of people, when you ask them this, they frame it in the construct of their current world. Like, oh, well, I'd get up and go to my Starbucks or I'd go do whatever. And so for me, it's, com it's not that far off of what I'm trying to build my life into. I would still be in an environment when I'm challenged to grow by either working with high-level athletes or just high-level humans. 
Um, for me, work is important too, because that gives me a sense of purpose of what I'm trying to cultivate and change. So I would have a job, I would be in a similar environment. I'd probably do that physically for four hours and remotely for two to three. And then my morning would start and end in water, 100% and sunlight. Um, and then most importantly, it would be with the people I care about most. So there would be time to wake up and actually take morning slow and get into that. And there'd be training whether it's morning, noon, or night, doesn't matter to me. And there would just be water. Whether it's surfing, whether it's sitting in cold water, it doesn't matter to me. I'd just be in the water. Are we bad? I like this. <laughs> We're going surfing in El Sally. It's going to be unreal. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Uh, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna do something again because there's so many more questions, so much more to go into. But uh, where can people find out about you? Um, where do you want them to find out about you? Sure. Um, and then uh, yeah, just like let us know about that so we can we can throw people your direction. And are you doing anything outside of working with athletes and stuff like that that you want people to know about? Yeah. No. Um kind of when I dive into a project I kind of dive head into it and so for the next year it's just going to be about committing to this this club and this team and helping us take home uh, some hardware this year and then on the outside of that for me I'm always connecting with other coaches and helping try and elevate those people around me so um, typically I'm pretty good if people reach out and if they want to come to something I'm speaking at or whatever that's more than welcome um, but I'm definitely one of those people that I want to meet you in person I'm a face person uh, so you can always reach out via the Instagram and I'll let you guys post whatever that is and um, or email and you can post that as well so that's uh, youngstrength.megan at gmail.com and then the Instagram is coach underscore mega strong fantastic well thank you so much one for the Funky footwork, yeah. too, for sharing your story, your journey with us. Um, and we can't wait for round two. So Awesome. Thanks, Thanks guys. Team. Thanks, Coach. Thanks so much for listening to that amazing episode brought to you by Beam. We're really excited to have you guys test their stuff out. Make sure you check out beamtlc.com and use code livebetter at checkout for a discount.